at the end of the day, your role is to be the captain of this team. So you pull all these experts together, but it's really up to you to kind of guide the team and make sure that the things they're putting together are things that you want for your family. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Leslie Quincy. How you doing, Leslie? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having me on as well. Truly appreciate it. I'm glad you're doing great, and it's my pleasure. And you are the second Canadian I've talked to today, so what a treat. Two Canadians in one day. Looking forward to it. So a little bit about Leslie. She has a real estate portfolio of around 30 properties with experience in both commercial and residential, previously owned and sold a 30,000-square-foot office building. She is based in Toronto, Canada. With that being said, Leslie, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So Joe, I'm actually a second generation business owner and also a real estate investor. And in my family over the years, what we've really had as our pillars of wealth has been business, real estate, some paper assets. But the biggest part of it has really just been the knowledge that we've been passing along through generations. So for me, currently in life, one of the things I've come to realize is that as part of the sandwich generation, where we're in this stage of life where I have a young son who's 17, so I'm still in the midst of raising my son, but my parents are also aging. So I find that there's needs on both ends of the spectrum, (laughs) which can be sometimes quite exhausting. And what it's caused me to realize as well is that I've watched my parents come to North America from the Philippines with barely anything to their name. And they built up a wonderful business. They were wise enough to invest in knowledge in themselves. They build it. We have an engineering company. It's called AMAG. We provide flow measurement equipment and services to the power and process industry. Okay. So I watched my parents grow that business over the years. But the other thing they always did was invest in real estate. So growing up, I was just really lucky that as a child, I got to watch all of these things happening. And to be honest, when you're young, you don't necessarily know what's going on. For a long time, my brother and I could not figure out why on earth our parents would drag us to these townhomes and have us clean them (laughs) and paint them. We thought for a little while that maybe they owed a cleaning company. And it was only later that we realized they were actually investing in real estate. So I grew up really surrounded by entrepreneurship, by investing, by the positive attitude and kind of investing in yourself and your knowledge. And as we've gone on through the years, I've begun to realize how important it is that as a family, we try to figure out how we can continue to grow this wealth from generation to generation. And one of the things that really stands out for me, there's a quote, it's actually by Robert Kiyosaki that goes, it's not how much money you make, but how much money you keep how hard it works for you and how many generations you keep it for. Mm. And I find there's so much out there in terms of when it comes to growing wealth or investing or learning how to invest, there's tons of resources out there for those types of things. 
And it's human nature, I think, to want to continue to grow and build. And that's all the fun stuff. So we often don't think about what's next because we're not going to be here forever. So you spend a lifetime building up this wonderful legacy. And I think if you don't plan wisely, a lot of that can go to waste just from a lack of planning. So that's kind of as a family where we've started to go because we've had discussions around what's going to happen to the family business or what's going to happen to the family investment company once my parents choose to fully step away or should something happen to them, what's the game plan for that? And for myself and my husband as well, it's kind of just trying to understand where my son's going in life to figure out, is this something that he'd like to continue? Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then what are the ways we can do things so that we can pass the wealth on and not just a business, but transition well so he can then continue to grow it in whatever way he is best at. So that's kind of been a focus for me over the last little while. And it's caused me to really just share my stories and my experiences with my family around that in the form of a book, because I thought... If we can create awareness around estate and succession planning and just maybe shift the attitude about it, because it's always seen as something that's so negative and depressing and boring. No one ever wants to talk about that kind of stuff because death is not a fun topic (laughs) or illness. So we focus on the growing, the building, and we forget sometimes to figure out how are we going to pass that baton on to the next generation. So that for me has been kind of something that I've been really thinking about and focusing on as I'm going through it myself in my own family. So that's kind of where I'm at in life and sort of a little bit of my background in terms of my experience with business and real estate investing. And I'd like to focus the conversation on this because it's something that isn't talked about a lot and especially isn't talked about a lot from a real estate investor standpoint. If there's a state planning attorney that I'm interviewing, they have one approach, but it's going to be a little bit different than how you and I would approach it. In your book, Legacy, A Guide to Successfully Transferring Wealth from One Generation to the Next is on Amazon and many other places. So best ever listeners, you can go get it there. You said you have a son. How old is your son? My son's 17 right now. So he's graduating in high school this year and hopefully off to university starting in September. So you know the cliche, and I'm sure your son doesn't fit in the cliche, but you know the cliche where... I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but first generation earns it, second keeps it, third one loses it, the family wealth. And the thought process, as you're aware, in that cliche is that first generation, as you said, you saw your parents come from the Philippines, didn't have anything, built an engineering company. You were seeing that firsthand and you experienced the bad and the good, and then when the third generation, in this case, your son, and we're just using it as a placeholder. I'm just talking about the concept, not your family, by the way. (laughs) And then the second generation, you saw that. So the third, they don't see the poor part of it. They don't necessarily see that. And I'm sure you were mindful of that, given how you are so self-reflecting now. So how did you prepare your son to have the mentality that say, the first and second generation have because he didn't have the benefit of seeing what you saw when you were growing up? Well, I think what was important for me in raising my son was always having him involved in what we were doing, whether it was taking him out to meetings or having him come see the properties where we were working on. We always tried to keep him involved from a very young age. But the other thing for me that's very important is that he follows a path that's meaningful to him. In my case, I went straight into the family business shortly after graduating from university. 
and if I'm to be completely honest, it was really more out of a sense of obligation. <laughs> you know, you watch your parents build this up and they built this out of love, but it sometimes can feel a bit like a burden when you suddenly have something to carry on that wasn't necessarily something you wanted to do. So for my son, I always tell him that we support him in whatever endeavor he chooses to take. And if he is interested in participating with us in the family business, or if it's something that he thinks he'd like to do in the future, then we've always spoken openly with him about finding ways that he can buy into the business because we want him mm. to have his own skin in the game. And I don't want him to have a feeling of entitlement that one day something may happen to us and this is just going to be yours. For us, obviously, I've only got the one son. So at the end of the day, really, whatever I build up, most of that's just going to go to him. Mm -hmm. But what we want to do is make sure that if he has no interest in running any of the family ventures that are currently operating right now, then I would hate to see it kind of transition and then just fall apart because of a lack of interest or a lack of ability to run it. So for me, what's more important is that we start the conversations with him now. If it's not something he's interested in, then it's important for myself, for my husband, that we position the business so that it's sellable down the road, for instance. So for us, it's kind of looking at what we've got and figuring out if passing a business on is not something that is likely with our son, then at least what are the things we can do to be able to ensure that we can actually transition wealth to him in a meaningful way. And then that way he can grow that wealth using whatever skill sets he's got and whatever he can bring to the table. But for us, I think it all starts with communication. And I think a lot of the time, we just skip that step. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's just a lot of assumptions. I've got many peers who are also in family businesses. So a lot of the time you get into conversations and the businesses are all different, different sizes, different industries, different products and services, but the issues and challenges that are faced during times of transition are all the same. And it's really those who have actually started talking about it, who start planning early that seem to have a much better time transitioning. So for me, that's been very important. It's just keeping my son involved, talking to him about what his future plans are, sharing with him, this is how the business works. This is what it does. This is how it runs. And for me, part of it too is it's not just the wealth, but it's the knowledge and how to create wealth. And for me, that's probably more important than anything, because I think if you can share the knowledge and pass that knowledge on, then the next generation has something to build upon. Mm -hmm. So that's just sort of been my take with our son and how it's been in our family. How would he go about buying into the business? How does that work? So we've had really informal conversations with him. He's 17 right now, and he's yeah. got some money so that he's saved up over the years. Some of it was we've forced him to save it. So, you know, on birthdays, <laughs> we'd tell him, you know what, take some of that, put it in the bank and go nuts with the rest of it. Um, so as a kid, it, he was kind of like, ah, you know, I want to buy all these Nerf pens and you're taking away some of my money. But I think now he's starting to realize the yeah. benefit of having had some of that soft away because over time it's grown and we've just tried to instill habits. I always tell him whenever you receive some money, whether it's from some of the part-time job he's done, sock some of that away. Because right now he has no expenses. He's still living at home with us. But, you know, we always suggest him put some of that away and do what you want to do with the rest of it. But at the end of the day, if you sock some of that away and start investing it wisely, you'll be much farther ahead. So the other thing we've suggested with him, he's got a bunch of it saved right now. And, you know, about two years ago, he was really excited about possibly buying an investment property. So we let him go through the process. At the time, he had maybe less than $10,000. So he had it in his mind that he must have had enough to buy a property. And so we took him to meet our mortgage broker. 
And he ran the numbers and my son at the time was 50 and he didn't really have a job. And he realized, oh my gosh, this is not nearly enough to buy a property, nor am I qualified for a mortgage. So at that time, he started thinking about what are other ways I can grow my money? So that's where we really started conversations around. You can put it in the standard things that you see the bank offers. You can maybe do some private lending, which is what he's seen us do in the past. And we gave him all these ideas. We also suggested you could invest some of that in our family business. So we opened up all these options to him, but for us, it's really important to see that he works through the process and goes through the exercise of seeing the pros and cons and the benefits of whichever he chooses to invest in. So for him to invest in the family business, our thought process was that he's got some of this money socked away. And if it's meaningful enough to him, then he'd be willing to put some of his own money into the business and buy some shares in our family holding company. So that's kind of like the game plan and the lesson, if that's something he's interested in doing. Mm -hmm. And it's so helpful. And by the way, I bought your book, so it's being delivered in two days. So I'm the most recent purchaser of your book. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. So let's talk about the lessons that we can learn from your book, Legacy, A Guide to Successfully Transferring Wealth from One Generation to the Next. How do you have it organized? Well, basically what I've done, really just shared some personal stories, not only my own, but peers that are also in family businesses or who invest, and just stories of transition, some that went well and some that didn't go so smoothly, just to kind of create awareness around why this topic is so important. And then what I tried to do, because it's a topic that's kind of dull and boring and something that no one wants to address, it's very hard to get attention around it. So I thought if I could begin to just shift the mindset around it and have people perceive it as something that's a little more positive as a way to make a meaningful difference and a way to ensure that all you work so hard to build up in your life is actually going to continue to make a difference for generations to come. That's kind of the gist of the beginning. But then what I also realized is that when you give people a framework, it's easier for them to actually get started on doing some of these things that they may not necessarily feel like doing. So I thought I would outline just six steps in terms of things that you can do to begin actually just thinking about transition and what that transition might look like for yourself and your family in the future. And I actually used the word legacy to do that just because I thought it would be easy to remember. And I'm actually not that clever. It was completely unintentional. When I called the book publishing company, I told them the title of the book. They said, do you realize that some of your chapter titles start with the letters in legacy? And I thought, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> and I didn't really dawn on me, but I took credit for it. And I said, oh, that's cool. Maybe if we tweak it a little bit, we can make it work. So I did. But I'll give you the steps really quickly. Please just do. As a, yeah, an thanks. overview. Um, so the L is for lay the foundation. And that's really just taking a look at your state of affairs today as a business owner, as an investor, like the year just ended and we're into a new one. So for me, one of the things I do is I update my net worth statement regularly just so I can see where I am today, but I can also compare the progress I've made from last year. So the laying the foundation is really kind of just figuring out where you stand today with your finances, with your business, with your investments, but also where you stand with the documents you have. What insurance do you have in place? Do you have a will? And if you do, is it current and up to date? If you've had major life changes, maybe it's something that you might want to examine. So the laying the foundation is really kind of just getting your bearings. And I know everyone always thinks they know exactly where they are. But when you start digging deeper, you realize a lot of people, they just really have a fuzzy picture of where they actually stand. So I think it's important to kind of just get all that out on the table and take a look to see where you are so you can see where the gaps are and begin to fill them in. Wonderful. Okay. Two. The E is for experts. And just as within real estate investing, when you're ever 
going into something new, you want to surround yourself or build a team of experts that can support you in doing this. And in this case, I'm talking about estate planning consultants, depending on your family situation, you might want to call someone in that can kind of give you a bird's eye view of what you've got going on. But you'll also need an estate planning lawyer, your accountant needs to be involved, your insurance agent, all these sort of things that you want to pull together so that you can make sure you capture all of the aspects of estate planning that you need to. Some people actually now are big on doing funeral prepayment and burial, like they're making their own funeral arrangements so as not to burden their families. So if that's something meaningful, then making sure you have the right team of people to support you and setting all of these things up. And with experts, I mean, there's tons of great technical experts out there. There's great accountants, great lawyers. But for me, it's really just finding the people that are a fit for you. So going out there and interviewing them and making sure that they understand your family situation, what your goals are and what you're really trying to accomplish. And at the end of the day, your role is to be the captain of this team. So you pull all these experts together, but it's really up to you to kind of guide the team and make sure that the things they're putting together are things that you want for your family. The G stands for goals, because obviously becoming ill or dying is not something that we are hoping happens tomorrow. This is kind of like a long-term thing for most of us. So, I mean, many real estate investors, many entrepreneurs, they're very adept at goal setting. They have their own systems and processes to do that. So the intent wasn't to really talk too much about how to set those goals. But the point of it was really to begin including aspects of estate and succession planning into your goals. So just as a quick example, for instance, in our case, we have a family business. My dad had a heart attack a few years back, and that's why I came in and I took over the family business. But had we not had that plan in place, the business might have suffered and struggled for a little while. So recognizing that your plan is not necessarily pass a business on to the next generation, then you need to make sure that you start putting systems and processes in place so that your business is sellable and it's something that you can exit from down the road. So it's really just time, whatever your goals are, they'll be unique to each individual and family, but including aspects of estate and succession planning in there so that you're already talking about it and already communicating that to whoever's going to be involved. The A stands for articulate, which is really just having some personal clarity around your own vision. And I think for me, a lot of the time, because like I said, we're so hyper-focused on just the growth, the building. And I'm guilty of that too. I love going out there and finding the next deal and figuring out what we're doing next and what we're going to grow because that's the fun part <laughs> of life. The What we're going to do when we're gone is not fun. And for the most part, many people just don't care because you're not going to be here to care. But I think sitting down with yourself and just really being clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, like you're building this and why are you building it? And what do you expect it to look like when you're not here? So having the personal clarity and then the C actually stands for communicate, because in addition to being clear on it, you need to be able to start communicating that to your family members, the people in your team of experts. You need to be able to share all this knowledge and direction with them so that they can support you in this growth. But it also allows you to start to realize where maybe you thought things were going to go one way and you might realize that your children are or have no interest in working with you on a family business. So you might have to sort of shift or change the way you structure things. So the articulate and communicate really kind of go hand in hand. And the last part of it is just yield, because obviously, as I mentioned with goals, we're talking about an event or things that could happen in the future. But in the meanwhile, your goal should always be to be able to maximize your return on whatever it is you're growing. So it's just structures on if it's a business, understanding what is the value of your business today and what things can you do to make sure you maximize the value of that business. Same with your real estate portfolio. It's kind of what's the value of it today and what are the things you can do to improve that or make that better down the road over the years. So it was really just a way to set out a structure that people could follow 
to get them thinking about the process and at least begin communicating with their family or the people that are important to them about what they want to see happen down the road. It's not something that's talked about enough, and I'm really glad that you wrote a book on it. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. Anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to these six steps that you think we should before we move on to the next part of the interview? No, as I mentioned, that's pretty much just sharing an experience that I had gone through. Our family had some bumps along the road with estate and succession planning, and I realized we're not unique, and I'm sure other family businesses or other families of investors go through these things as well. So why not shed light on a topic that people usually choose to ignore and show how important it can be to actually just get talking about it? Based on your experience in business, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? I think the best piece of advice I can give is that if you want it to last and you want it to grow and last your generations, then you have to spend some time building a solid foundation for it. So instead of just focusing solely on growth and acquisition, take the time to stop and think about what you're building and why you're building it and how you're going to be able to transition all of this wealth and all of this greatness that you've built down through the next generation. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com. What's the best ever deal that you've done? I know you've got around 30 properties. So best ever deal. And I'm sure you've, you've sold some other ones like the office building. Yeah, I think honestly, the best ever deal I've done probably for many reasons was the office building. It came with a lot of bumps and things along the way. Huge learning curve. But at the end of the day, it generated a great amount of cash flow. And when we exited at the end of the period, we were happy with the return we got from that. So I think that was probably the greatest that I've had. What deal have you lost the most money on? I can tell you it was intended to be a fourplex, something I had bought out west. And it was meant to be this great property that was going to cash flow and be phenomenal. And it ended up being more of a nightmare. Tenant problems, bed bug problems, all kinds of problems. I can't even, <laughs> it would be a whole nother show to kind of tell you what happened with that. But it was a complete disaster. What is the most challenging part of building out a succession plan that you've come across? I think the most challenging part is just communication, communicating with your family and your loved ones and, and trying to figure things out when you're not always on the same page. So I think a lot of the time we just ignore it because the communication can be awkward and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. What's an example of having an uncomfortable or awkward conversation? What's that topic and how's that go? I'll just use an example, but yeah. your parents, maybe they've got two children and in their minds, they're just going to leave their business to their kids 50-50. But maybe you have one child that works actively in the business and one that doesn't really support the business very much. 
and you might have different dynamics in terms of communication with the family or how things are going to go. So at some point, the kids may have to start having the conversation with the parents about, does it make sense to have this split? Do you want to go for equality or do you want to go for what's fair? And it's just having conversations like that because it can be really awkward to bring that up and to suggest you want more because it does come across sometimes as quite selfish, although really all you're trying to do is make sure that the contributions you put in are being recognized. So there's conversations around split, around fairness, around duties, around who's doing what. So I think that's just an example of the awkwardness that you can have when you're discussing family business. And the other thing is just having differences of opinion in how to grow the business or when to take it to the next level. Differences of opinion in whether it should kind of carry on in the family or it should be sold. So these are kind of all really conversations that can be hard and awkward. Often founders sometimes get offended when their children don't want to take over. So it just leads to a little bit of awkwardness amongst family members until you start getting it out there and really hammering away at what the issues are. How can the best of our listeners learn more about what you're doing? I think the best way is really just to pick up a copy of the book and that kind of shares really, like I said, a lot of story-based experiences on what can go really wrong and what could go right <laughs> if you take the time to plan it out. And my book can be found on my website. It's leslieguinsay.com. And that's probably the best way to learn a little bit more about estate succession planning and some suggestions and ideas around putting a framework in place for it. Thank you so much for sharing your six steps, how they conveniently start with the acronym legacy in this case, and shedding light on a topic that's not talked about enough. I appreciate you talking about your experiences firsthand and also educating myself, at least, and I'm sure a lot of Best Ever listeners on different things to think about. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a Best Ever day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you so much, Joe. Take care.